Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a special edition of Coach's Corner as we are in flux and traveling to the ASCA convention. Here with me today on the Coach's Corner, I am so pleased to have Emily Molina. We have worked hard to get her on the program over the past uh, few weeks and uh, so thrilled to have this coach here with us, a coach who plays many different roles uh, with, within her own team, within the LSC that she's a part of and within USA Swimming. Emily, it has been a busy couple of weeks. I want to jump right in to talk about a lot of the action and a lot of the planning and a lot of the strategy that's going behind some of these proposals within USA Swimming, uh, especially from the coach development side of things. Talk to me generally first about why it's important to you to play a role in USA Swimming Governance and why it's important for young coaches to understand that they have a role to play. Yeah, I mean, I have been involved now for a couple of years and I think probably got involved um, like a lot of people do where someone asks you and you're like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do it. Um, and then, you know, I, I would say that I had a pretty passive role the first year or two I had zero idea what was going I, going on I went to um, convention um, and had no idea what was happening um, it's like a deer in the headlight sort of experience um, most I, I think I got confused for other people more often than um, anything else that was a memorable memorable time um, and then I sort of you know found my my footing and realized that you know we all have a lot of opinions about how our organization should run um there are oftentimes rooted in our own team and challenges and all of that um or our own lsc and so i kind of got to the point where i was like okay you can either sit here and be you know at the whim of the way the the, the organization is going to go um, or you can have a voice. And so I'm not really a sit back and complain and do nothing kind of person. Um, and so I just kind of, at that point, jumped right in. And what have you found has been early on one of the more rewarding aspects of playing a role in USA Swimming Governance? I think you really eloquently described sort of the overwhelming feeling that it can have for some young coaches but as you mentioned, you've, you've kind of found your niche and now you are plugging away at some important things that are happening. So how did you find that passion? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I initially was just within LSC governance. Um, that's obviously how everyone gets into the USA swimming vortex. Um, but, uh, you know, I kind of gravitated initially to, uh, DEI stuff. And so I, I was involved in that at the LSC level. It was pretty easy to get involved at the USA swimming level. Um, and it was easy, at least for me, to see a path of which to head. You know, I found that on I'm now on a club development, I'm on the club development committee. It's much harder to see a path, I think. Um, you know, the goals for DEI were not easy to achieve, but easy to, to see what we were working for. Um, and I think that it, for me, that was, that was a natural, you know, I'm personally invested in a diverse and uh, 
an inclusive sport. Um, and so that was kind of this easy gateway into kind of getting involved in governance. Um, and once you, you know, get into, get into the meat of things, you realize that everything's connected and, you know, no, no committee is just out on its own and everyone is having to work with everyone else. You can kind of find and navigate your way with, you know, things that interest you. And that's kind of what keeps it, you know, fresh is that you don't necessarily need to pigeonhole yourself in one area that, you know, you're passionate about because it really does touch everything else. There is no, you know, we're on an island and we don't care what anyone else does. Um, it's kind of the beauty of our sport, but there's no, there is no one way to, to do it. I like how you touched on DEI and it's an initiative that so many coaches are very passionate about, but also maybe be a little bit confused about how they can help, how they can contribute. What's your advice to those coaches on contributing to diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there, that there are a ton of resources out there that I think are fairly easy to access. And there are a lot of people who are passionate about it, but it's more making the initial step towards finding that information. Um, you know, all the times I was on the committee, we would, you know, do talks. There were always talks at convention. Um, I believe there's some talks at ASCA this year. Um, it, it's just a matter of making the choice to go to those. And, you know, it, we, when I was on the DEI committee, um, really tried to push to have the, those meetings be something where they weren't in conflict, where all the head coaches also wanted to go to, you know, the, the talk about time standards or something where, you know, we all want to go to and we feel like our job is inherently dependent on. Um, I think it was a big push to try to get the DEI talks to be up against things that weren't necessarily going to be in conflict for people to have to choose. Um, and so I think that that has become easier. And I think that, you know, we just need to encourage coaches to choose to, to take those opportunities. It could be as simple as going to those talks, right? And then sharing with your team, sharing with your staff what you learn. I think the biggest uh, positive thing that I've seen lately is that there are many more coaches who are getting involved and want to play an active role in it. But as I mentioned, they're, they're just unsure how to initially take that step and support it. So supporting those talks, I think, as you mentioned, is, is incredibly important. As you look, Emily, at the last year and a half, where do we have to go to continue to promote DEI from where we are right now? Not just as an NGB, but in our own communities and at our own club. Yeah, I mean, I think we actually have a pretty good opportunity. Um, you know, our, I think every club gets kind of a reboot uh, after this, this past 18 months. Um, and, you know, I, are, we are fortunate that our numbers are actually higher than they ever have been. But I know that's not always the case with a lot of clubs just because they lost, you know, enormous access to water. They weren't providing services. Um, and I think that this is, you know, I, I've heard, although I haven't seen the numbers that, you know, retention in the 12 and unders, you know, is struggling. Um, you know, I think it is an opportunity to engage a lot of your community. 
Um, and it, you know, it, it can be, I think that there's this belief that DEI, you know, efforts do not benefit your club financially. And that's, you know, categorically untrue. Like, yes, there is outreach. That's, um, a, a piece of DEI. Um, but you know, if we're looking at growing our membership, there's huge portions of the community that we don't, you know, we're not, I, I think, accessing as well as we could. Um, you know, and there are, there are resources and people in USA Swimming um, and, and club leaders who are doing a really good job finding uh, resources and money to help grow their teams. Um, you know, in a way that is supporting, you know, the community in a diverse fashion. Emily, so much has been made in the last decade over coaches using analytics in every sport. But now with our club portal system in USA Swimming, we have a lot more access to be able to use analytics to our advantage, not only from a performance standpoint, but also from a business growth standpoint, you know, tracking the diversity of our team. What's your advice to coaches to help keep an eye on those things? I think the biggest thing and, you know, the thing we struggled with <clears throat> when we were, when I was on the committee is getting an accurate assessment. And it sounds so simple, but getting your members to check the boxes on their registration is huge. Um, it seems like such a small thing. And I know that there is a fear about identifying yourself, um, you know, but it, it is used for a lot of productive um, metrics. And I think just educating, educating your members as they're signing up that there is a benefit um, to getting that data um, long-term and short-term, it's probably the biggest thing because, you know, yeah, you can have all the metrics, but if only 40% of your member base is filling it out, it's not gonna be that accurate. Sure. And how, is, how can we as coaches and leaders of our club communities, how can we communicate to our staff, our athletes and our parent base about the importance and the significance of DEI? I mean, you know, there's, I think that there's a million ways to make a welcoming community. community. Um, you know, we have tried to make, um, membership into say your volunteers your officials trying to make your your volunteers and officials reflect what you know what your community looks like um you know the coaching staffs trying to have a diverse coaching staff um you know representation matters and um i i think that that's like the first I don't want to say easy, but it is an easy way to create an environment where people say, oh, that person looks like me. Um, and that goes all the way to, oh, you know, I'm trying to get officials and I can make the official pool of my team look very diverse. Then everyone feels like they could be an official, um, you know, and I think that that's kind of the first step. One of the phrases that you said there really resonated with me, and I know it's going to resonate with a lot of folks listening to this, and it's something that my good friend Mitch Dalton says all the time when we're looking at committees and we're looking to push initiatives forward at ASCA is that representation matters. Talk a little bit about that and why that's so important. It seems like a simple idea, but I think it has some, some layers to it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, at the basic level, you know, we see it with the athletes and we don't have enough of them, but we are, we're growing, Um, you know, kids seeing Olympians that look like them, you know, and it doesn't, that happens in every sport. I I see examples of it in every sport. We saw it with the U.S. Open um, in tennis, you know, kids are inspired when when people who are being successful in a sport they're doing look like them it's you know it's it doesn't matter what sport what what they're representing um you know I think that 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 inspires people um you know and I think that that goes all the way up to you know officials coaching staffs all of that you know you see someone not that every kid dreams of being a swim coach uh sadly but um (laughs) (laughs) but I think that, you know, seeing a swim coach that looks like them creates an environment where they can feel more confident. Um, you know, and so I think at at that level, you know, having more people of color, having more women, um, having more people from all sorts of backgrounds, I think that that only creates an environment where people will actually be more successful. Emily, you had a tremendous experience. Well, you've had tremendous experience working with a lot of great coaches. Uh, You've been a part of some great coaching staffs. You were a great athlete at UCLA, swam under Cindy Gallagher, had Greg Meehan as an assistant coach, uh, young Greg Meehan before the Stanford days, and swam with Jay Brenner, uh, Dana Kirk, who uh, I've always been good friends with from my days at Stanford swim camp. Talk about your experience as an athlete, as a collegiate athlete, and then your transition into coaching. Yeah, I mean, I was really fortunate to swim for, you know, really great coaches. Um, I was not the best athlete. Uh, You know, that's like so many of us coaches can always say, like, we weren't the best athlete, but we're really hard workers. You know, that was (laughs) that was me. Um, And I fortunately had coaches who you know, recognized that and valued that um, and really, I I would think, nurtured that skill in me. Um, You know, as as an age group swimmer, I swam for Jay. Um, You know, I, if we get into like work-life balance, I can't say this is a good example, Um, but he was 100% committed to us. I mean, he used to sleep in his office at the pool when it was really snowy so that he wouldn't miss practice. <laughs> I'm not suggesting coaches do that because that sounds a little crazy now, but you know, that level of commitment, um, you know, was inspiring to me. Um, and then when I got to college I was fortunate to swim, you know, for Cindy, I swam for Greg, you know, they both really cared about us as people. Um, and I think that that was kind of, you know, eye-opening that, okay, we're eventually going to not be swimmers, regardless of how good we are. Um, and these, these people really care about, you know, how we are going to turn out as people after we're, we're done with swimming. Um, you know, and that was really, really meaningful to me. Not that they didn't want us to perform as swimmers, but it was sort of like, if you were the best person you could be, you were going to be the best swimmer that you could be. Um, and you know, I think that those, those kind of, uh, lessons and values, you know, have really shaped me now. Um, I, I strive to, you know, kind of on a daily basis, try to make those people proud. Um, 
we'll see. <laughs> well, I think you're doing a great job thus far and talking about being proud. I know that you are a proud Bruin alum. What was it like transitioning as a teenage athlete who grew up in the Pacific Northwest and then moved to LA and then be in the sports world at UCLA? Yeah, I mean, I think my parents were actually worried um, that I was going to have a hard adjustment of being, you know, kind of this big fish in a small pond and then suddenly going um, be a small fish in a big pond. Um, and, you know, I uh, admittedly, I loved every minute of it. It wasn't smooth sailing for me. I had a lot of injuries. It wasn't, I wasn't the best. Um, you know, I didn't achieve all my swimming goals, but, you know, when I look back and it's, that's why I can easily talk to others, you know, my, my athletes now is that, um, you know, it's, when you look back, it's the experience that you had and it's not really, you know, I can't remember the times, um, you know, and I think that it was such a, I was so privileged and honored to be able to swim at a school like UCLA that, you know, kind of every day I was kind of like, I can't believe this is happening. Um, you know, and it made it, it made it a treat. You know, I can't really say anything else. I, I felt like I was, I had such an opportunity swimming for those coaches and swimming, representing that school. Um, you know, there were Olympians all around me. Uh, I mean, does it get any better than that? I don't think so. <laughs> It's pretty awesome. And, and I can appreciate because I'm probably the biggest one, the, the little bit of swim nerd that I saw come out of you just now, like you got to be around Olympians. Like I, that's me. Like I, I, I feel that. And even being a part of the ask the board, you know, and getting to talk to some of these guys every day and, and these amazing women coaches and just being around these people, sometimes I have to pinch myself. So I know that feeling. What is the advice that you give, Emily, to your athletes um, when they depart your program for collegiate swimming? I mean, I, you know, I just want them to have a positive experience and, and you know, you know, take advantage of every opportunity they have. They have four, four years to be a collegiate swimmer for the most part. I know that the kids are getting five or six now but you know for the most part you get four years and then you're probably your swimming career is probably going to be over for most of them um you know so make the most of it because it is this short period of time and you know I would give a lot to be able to redo it um not with the age I am now but you know <laughs> um you know it's such an opportunity and you never get that experience again and you know, even coaching and being on a coaching staff and all of that, it's not the same as being an athlete and um, representing your school. And, um, you know, I think really living it up and really going all in, I, you know, I, I think that there is nothing to regret about that. You know, this year, so much has been talked about how coaches and athletes and teams weathered the, the pandemic and you know, it's almost cliche to talk about now, but now I think we're transitioning to a point, hopefully, where, you know, we're learning to mitigate some of this virus and we're doing the best we can with vaccinations and moving forward. What are some of the things that you've learned throughout the last year as, as we've gone through this? Oh, I mean, 
prepare for everything and then expect to throw everything out the window. <laughs> you know, I think that that's the biggest thing is that I did so much planning um, and it was totally irrelevant, but there was value in planning. Um, and I think, you know, for me as a coach, I've kind of learned that it, it doesn't need to look the way I think it needs to look. Um, you know, that we were at the whim of so many things and the, they, there was nothing to do about it. You know, we had, we had a million natural disasters to, to handle here in Oregon. And before I would have been upset if we were out one day, you know, due to a facility, you know, chlorine issue or something. Um, and now I was sort of like, oh, smoke, like, you know, like nothing really phased me anymore. Um, and, you know, we didn't need to stick to some hard plan where everything looked exactly the way I felt it needed to look to be successful. Um, I think that, you know, coaches can be really rigid um, because there's sort of this belief that the more organized you are, the better it is. And I think that is to a degree, we have to be very organized. Um, but I think it, for me, it was really eye-opening to be forced to be flexible and be forced to be more easygoing, I guess, um, and know that that didn't compromise things. Sure. One of the things that I can appreciate from afar when I watch your program and the performance of some of your athletes over the last few years is that you guys race incredibly well against some pretty big name teams in your area. What are some of the things that you tell your athletes about competing at a high level, you know, coming out of a club that, that has a rich history like you do, but racing against some big time clubs in your area? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is, uh, you know, you can only play the under, underdog card so often, but we can still play it. Um, you know, and I think that it's, there is something to be said about, you know, racing with a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. Um, and especially, I mean, everyone could have played that card this year, and I'm sure that we all did to a degree. Um, you know, but I think that, you know, instilling, I mean, I came from a pretty small team initially, um, you know, instilling that you've done the work uh, and that you can step up and race anyone um, is something that we're, you know, trying to, trying to instill in our athletes. Um, that's not to say they won't be intimidated if they were to step up next to, you know, Nathan Adrian or something. Um, but, you know, to know, to be confident in what you have done for yourself and to, you know, be fearless. One of the things that I've always appreciated, and again, this is from the outside looking in, I don't know all the ins and outs, but the coaching community in the Pacific Northwest seems like a really neat community to be a part of. You know, on this show this past year, uh, we had Ash from Bellevue and, and those guys on. And, uh, you know, now Abby Lou is, is up there, uh, our mutual friend. Uh, and, uh, you know, Tony Betis, who, who it's not quite the Pacific Northwest, but it's Northern California. And, uh, you know, you guys seem to have this really neat collaboration of sharing and helping each other get better. Talk about what it's like coaching in that area of the world. Yeah, I mean, I think um, we're pretty lucky, you know, with within Oregon and then within the Pacific Northwest to um, just have such a, a deep respect for what a, 
what each other are doing. Um, and yes, there's, you know, we're competitive against each other as much as any other area. Um, but I think we have, you know, developed relationships over the years where we recognize that um, another team's success has nothing to do with you. I mean, we tell that to our swimmers all the time, you know, like you can't compare your own swimming against someone else. And then we turn around and forget about that. Um, you know, I think that we have been really fortunate that we have a community where we recognize that, you know, other people will only push us to be better. Um, you know, I'm super pumped that Abby's uh, at Bellevue. I was really bummed for Andrew to go down to Scottsdale, but happy, ha bummed for me, happy for him. Um, you know, and I think that it's, it's maybe, you know, a slightly, maybe is reflective of, you know, younger coaches coming in a little bit. Um, and it's just the community matters maybe a little bit more. And the, I, I don't want to say the competitive nature is gone, but um, it, it just, I just think that there is more of a, a community sense and needing support. Certainly after this past year, I've seen it grow even more. Um, so yeah. It's really neat. And, and you can so appreciate it. And if you've been coaching for a long time and you know how certain dynamics work, you appreciate that atmosphere even more. You know, we're, we're here in, in Western New York in an area where within nine miles of me, there are 15, 20 clubs. So you know, sometimes it feels like we can get a little too competitive and then other times we're, we're super happy to collaborate. But I've always appreciated that aspect of the, of the PAC Northwest. Emily, when we look at the future of collegiate swimming and now with the ISL, what are some things that pique your interest about the direction of, of international swimming, the ability to continue a swimming career maybe beyond um, college and, and the direction of college swimming with a lot of the changes in the NIL process now. Uh, give me your thoughts on that. I mean, I think that the opportunity that athletes have to extend their career several years is awesome. Um, you know, it just was something that was missing for most swimmers. Um, as like a swim nerd, more meets where, you know, you're getting big names, putting up world records randomly is super exciting um and you know from a longevity standpoint it's really nice that athletes can probably extend their at least you know pursuit of making the olympics longer than they would have because they can make money swimming um i wish that it was easier to watch <laughs> um as far as collegiate swimming i, I Honestly, I don't know. I, th I have conversations with people about that all the time as, you know, sort of like what is going to happen with this NIL thing. There seems to be no bounds right now. I don't know what that means. Um, you know, and I, I think it, it will be interesting. I, I have zero idea how it will, how it will play out. Um, I hope that it plays out positively for the athletes and the programs. Um, and, you know, it might be, it might be one of those kind of, I don't want to say, you know, leveling the playing field sort of thing, but it probably, you know, I anticipate it kind of making some 
different, you know, the difference between maybe a D1, a D2, and a D3, aside from the top 10, might, it might even things out a little bit. I have no idea. I think it'll be interesting to watch. You know, much has been made in the last uh, year and a half about a little bit of a power shift in college swimming from West Coast over here to the East Coast now, especially with the women. And of course, I'm a little biased towards NC State, but NC State and Virginia and uh, you know, Stanford and Cal and some of that. What do you West Coasters think about this? I mean, <laughs> I think Stanford's going to be pretty good this year, but um, I, I think it's been, I think it's good. I mean, I think we have seen this before. It's just been, it was just sort of this West Coast domination for this period, but it all, the pendulum always swings. Um, and I think that it's, it's, kind of exciting to have new new blood in there um certainly social media and like the perception of hype really plays into this um and that's kind of been interesting to see because you know when i was going through the recruiting process many many years ago social media didn't exist and so you know maybe you saw a picture in swimming world but that was about it um uh, you know i think that it's just a different world um but i i appreciate kind of the the huge push that the east that the east has done and closed the gap so so quickly um it's it's fun and i think it will only yield faster swimming and i i think that that will be pretty exciting you know we kind of got cheated out of that 2020 year where i was expecting some pretty big swims and then Last year, you know, was a hard year because every every area of the country was so differently affected. Um, but I think that this year will be will be pretty fun to watch. Oh, there's no doubt about it, uh, Emily. I'm curious as your thoughts. It was fun this year at Olympic trials to see how fast everybody still went, to see that everybody still got better. Um, and maybe we're looking at a, a sample of, you know, some of the better athletes in the world, but at the same time, after a year of what we went through and to still see progression in the sport, it, it, to me, it says something about the human spirit, right? Uh, talk to me about your thoughts after these Olympic trials and the Olympic games. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, if, I, I think that if kids did not come out with, you know, a a stronger sense of grit and ability to deal with adversity than uh, they probably didn't make it in the sport. You know, I think that it was so challenging. Um, but the desire, I mean, I saw it on a, you know, on a local level, the kids stepped up and raced every time because it was sort of this perception like, well, this might be your last meet for six months. So go for it. Um, you know, and there was sort of this gratefulness that it was even happening. And that was certainly the sense of trials. Like, you know, people were just so grateful that it was happening that they really wanted to capitalize on this experience. Um, you know, and same with the Olympic games. I, I think everyone was just so thankful that it was happening and so appreciative that it was able to happen. Um, you know, that there was kind of this, I don't want to say superhuman, but, um, you know, I, I think that people rise to the challenge and that that lack of ideal training circumstances is less impactful than 
you know, a desire to be excellent. That's a great response. And, you know, one of my, my last questions here before we do some quick fire questions, what are you most excited about for swimming in this country moving forward? I mean, it's probably the same that I'm always excited about. There's always new people coming into the sport. The sport is constantly changing. Um, you know, the, the youth talent that we have is unbelievable. Um, you saw it on the Olympics. I, I think that's only beginning kind of to, to see kind of that, you know, some of the athletes are going to retire and we're just going to get this whole host of just ultra talented youngsters. Um, and, you know, and who doesn't find that exciting? I think that, you know, like if you're not excited to see what some of these kids do in the NC2A or, you know, in 2024, which is not that long from now, you know, you're not really into swimming because it's going to be amazing. Um, and, you know, I'm just kind of waiting to watch. Yeah, I love it. I, uh, I, I was really excited about the club athletes making an impact at trials. You know, that to me, to me, it was, I don't want to use the word validation, but it's it, it sort of like made me feel really good about what our colleagues are doing, right? When, when you see this explosion, and, and we had Ron Aiken on before trials, we had him on in the fall before trials, and you can just tell in his voice, he, he was super excited, like he knew. Um, you know, that to me is like so rewarding that, that we get to play a role in this, right? Even if we never had a kid make the team, you know, our athletes who compete at these meets, uh, we get to contribute to American swimming. And to me, that was the most exciting thing. Um, all right. So UCLA beat Hawaii their first week. Okay. Big win over LSU. Big win. All right, you're going to have Fresno State and then Stanford. Are you texting Greg about the Stanford game already? Uh, no, I'm not much of a trash talker until like, I mean, until like the third quarter. <laughs> You'll wait I've, I've, been, I've been burned before by UCLA football, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to count my chickens before they hatch. Uh, but I will say that I have a, an athlete who's at LSU right now, um, and I may or may have not rubbed that win in her face a little bit. <laughs> I actually did. My athlete there graduated last year. She just graduated. She swam there four years, and I certainly texted and said, how about that? Uh, because it's been fun to get after LSU after they've been so good for so long. Emily, thank you so much for joining us on the Coach's Corner. I'm excited to uh, interact with you more here in the future with USA Swimming Governance. And uh, you are uh, on the list of applicants for the ASCA Board of Directors. Wish you good luck and looking thank forward you. to seeing your ideas. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. No, you're welcome. This episode of the Coach's Corner will be available on YouTube and Spotify, and you can look for all the highlights and clips from this show at any time on our Fitter and Faster YouTube channel. Emily Molina, thank you so much. Thanks.